Grant, O Lord, that thy word only may be spoken and thy word only may be received. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the book, the recent book, The Psychopath Test, A Journey Through the Madness Industry, its author, a Mr. John Robinson, who's a British journalist, researches the idea of psychopathy. Psychopathy, or being a psychopath, that mental illness which is best characterized by a complete and total lack of empathy. That is, understanding, feeling, or caring about another person's emotions or their well-being. John Robinson becomes interested in the nature of psychopathy because a group of modern psychologists quipped that psychopathy is, and I quote, the madness that makes the world go around and that a complete and total lack of empathy lies at the heart of political and business elites. I'll say that again, madness is the that psychopathy is the madness that makes the world go around and a complete and total lack of empathy lies at the heart of political and business elites. It's a strong claim. So John Robinson, being the good journalist that he is, sets out and explores the idea that many corporate and governmental leaders are psychopaths whose actions to others can only be explained by taking into account the fact that they have psychopathic traits. Mr. Robinson looks at the world's most elite CEOs through the the lens of the standard for psychopathy, Robert D. Hare's psychopathy checklist. It's the clinical tool that is officially used to diagnose psychopathy. Now the hair checklist, what it's called, is a rating scale of 20 items and it has several, uh, several categories. For this sermon, we'll only look at one, personality traits. Those traits that are scaled or rated are glibness or superficial charm, a grandiose sense of self-worth, pathological lying, cunning or manipulative behavior, lack of remorse or guilt, shallow affect, which is a lack of genuine emotion, or egocentric emotion only, a lack of empathy or callousness, failure to accept responsibility. That's the checklist. So Mr. Robinson studies a man, one of the world's elite CEOs in our country, And it's a man that many of us are probably familiar with, Al Duncan, or as he's more affectionately known, Al the Chainsaw Duncan, the sometime CEO of Sunbeam. Al is the man credited with shutting down Sunbeam plants all around rural areas in the South, areas like Laurel, Mississippi, Bay Springs, Shibuta. In one year alone, Mr. Duncan fired more than 12,000 employees, creating ghost towns all around. And 
Mr. Duncan fired employees with such great flippancy, even joy, laughing at times at their fate, that many business magazines, publications, and groups began to ponder, seriously ponder, the possible connection between psychopathy and successful CEOs. Now, for those of you who might be interested in reading John Robinson's book, I won't totally spoil it. I will say, however, that of those CEOs interviewed and tested, Mr. Duncan was deemed not to be psychopathic, just extremely successful, and only interested in monetary gain, the bottom line, and had no concern for the human cost of it. Now, why is a priest reading this book? Why is my head not buried in the Bible or in some theological work? I read the book because I was very intrigued, very intrigued by the idea that to be powerful or successful in business, you had to have these certain personality traits. To be a high-ranking, powerful, successful, elite politician, you had to possess these certain qualities. Now, I will say that it is true that there are certain qualities or charisms, traits, that make natural leaders. The idea that the traits and qualities equate to madness, to me, was fascinating. Madness meaning insanity. Psychopathy is the madness that makes the world go round. And a complete and total lack of empathy lies at the heart of political and business elites. The idea that to be super successful, you must be egotistical, manipulative, cunning, shallow, uncaring, superficial, but charming, is something to ponder indeed. Are these really the traits that our highest ranking politicians and CEOs, our elites, possess? Now I'll leave judgment to you, but that the idea is presented and kicked around among learned people, accredited people, that there is some truth in this research should give us all pause. If nothing else, this thesis stands in confrontation, in direct opposition to this morning's gospel lesson. James and John, two of the closest apostles to Jesus, along with Peter, the only ones blessed to witness the transfiguration, they're given special insight that the others were not. They're treated in ways that the others are not. These three men were the only ones to be given nicknames by Jesus. Peter, Kaipha, the rock. James and John, the sons of Bonerges, sons of thunder, sons of thunder. Now this morning, James and John ask our Lord, inquire of him, grant us to sit, Lord, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. They ask Jesus to be leaders, to be rulers, to have a high, lofty, exalted place in his kingdom. They desire power, recognition, authority. And it is of great note and of great irony that they ask this of Jesus immediately after Jesus has had his conversation with the rich man. That's the gospel we read, read last week when the rich man leaves dejected because he had many possessions. And our Lord says to be perfect, 
give all your possessions to the poor and follow me. Our Lord declared it was impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I think it's also important to note that the verse of Scripture right in between last week's gospel and this, there's a paragraph or two, records this. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, that is, the disciples. And they were amazed. And those who followed Jesus were afraid. So here we go, having very difficult teachings. Jesus had said many hard things, many things that are counter to what those who follow him knew, understood as righteous, and they are scared, and they are amazed as they follow him. It frightens, it scares, and amazes all but the sons of thunder who seem oblivious to what Jesus has said. And they ask for the very thing that Jesus condemns. Grant us to sit at your right hand and at your left in your glory. So I think it's fitting that we look at exactly what Jesus is promoting as correct as a holy way of being. Mark 10, 42. And Jesus called them and said to him, to them, you know that those who are supposed to rule over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, within the kingdom of God, within the Christian faith and practice, the most highly regarded personality traits all have to do with serving others, with loving others, with sacrificing your own desires for the good of others. The personality traits are virtues that are honored, that are held dear to Jesus, are purity, self-control, charity, persistence, patience, kindness, humility. They are things like valor, honesty, generosity, liberality, diligence. How many of our children's role models possess the traits of Jesus Christ? How many elite, successful businessmen and politicians embody what Jesus posits as being the highest form of God's economy? How many celebrities see their calling and vocation as being a servant to all? I really think it's a fair argument that if you were to promote Jesus' idea of success, of prosperity in this world, you would be laughed at. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. It seems like a recipe for failure, a way of being that only serves to get a person trampled. But the question must be asked. Can a person, is it possible for a person to embody Christian virtue and be successful in politics, 
or in business. Now, I certainly think so, and I can think of many examples of people who are able to embody virtue, embody the idea of the servant, and still be successful. But I do believe the words of the psychologists have merit. Psychopathy is the madness, the insanity that makes the world go round, and a complete and total lack of empathy lies at the heart of political and business elites. In the greatest act of love and service the world has ever known, Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom. Jesus Christ saved our souls. Jesus Christ rescued us from death. Jesus Christ rescued us from the madness of the world. Jesus Christ did not come possessing glibness or superficial charm. Jesus Christ did not have a grandiose sense of self-worth. Jesus was not a pathological liar, nor was he cunning and manipulative. He did not have a sense or a lack of remorse and guilt. He did not have a shallow affect and most certainly did not have a lack of empathy, was not callous. He accepted responsibility for the sins of the world. Jesus showed us how to live, what traits we should possess, what characteristics we should embrace. Purity, self-control, charity, persistence, patience, kindness, humility, valor, honesty, generosity, liberality, and diligence. My brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, let us embrace Christian virtue in our lives. Let us promote Christian virtue among our peers. And let us expect nothing less from those who lead and guide us than virtuous. For Christian virtue and service, I am convinced, is the only sane and saving way to be in a world that is insane and lost. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I mean...